Welcome to Family Office Secrets. We're about to pull back the curtain to reveal to you the often hidden strategies used by today's most successful individuals and their family offices. What you're about to hear are things that no one else wants to tell you. We're a group of driven business leaders who are driven for more. We are not satisfied with the ordinary. Our motivation is building an amazing life of significance and changing the world for the better. Because we're building amazing companies, our lives are complicated. We can't rely on traditional advisors with ordinary advice to get us to our goals. Instead, we look to the super rich and ultra wealthy business owners to guide the way. But the fact is, these solutions remain hidden from most of us because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't want you to know about them. Welcome to Family Office Secrets, where we are driven for more. We are hashtag driven for more, and these are our stories. Welcome to another episode of Family Office Secrets. I am so excited today. I am here with Jessica Johnson, who's a pension administrator and has years of experience. And I am so excited to really get to know from her the things you should be considering. And by the end of our conversation today, you're going to know what's going on in the retirement plan world and how it impacts your business. More importantly, you're going to have a plan for moving forward and you're going to feel confident that you are moving forward in the best way possible. Jessica, welcome to Family Office Secrets. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> so, so excited to have you here, especially in this world of turmoil that we're going through today. And so what are some things that employers should be considering, whether they have a plan or, or don't have a plan? Because we've really got two kinds of people who are listening. Some will have a plan, some will not have a plan. And so maybe you can break that down. What should people with a plan be considering and what should people without a plan be considering in today's environment? Yeah, great question. I'm excited to be here as well. I'm excited as you. So essentially, you know, if you're an employer and you have a retirement plan, regardless of what's happening in the world, which is unfortunate, you're still a fiduciary for that retirement plan. You're still responsible for it. That plan has not gone away. So considering, are you going to be adding some of the distribution provisions that CARE Act passed that are going to, you know, allow you to offer to your employees? You know, looking at what are you paying, you know, your service providers that are helping you with your retirement plan. I mean, now is the time to review that, especially if you're going to be trying to save your business, you know, cutting costs at all areas. Is your plan in compliance? You know, kind of like, what are you getting for what you're paying? And making sure that you're not ignoring your retirement plan, regardless of what's happening in the world. I mean, with Hicks, we're fully operational and all we do is help employers retirement plans. So, you know, your plan has not gone away. And then if you don't have an existing plan, there's some mandate that California passed to be infecting our California employers that you need to be aware of as well. So I don't know if you want me to get into the details about you know, the rollout of that, but essentially by September of this year, if you have 100 employees or more, you're going to be required to set up a retirement plan for your business or go with the state-run option. And so the, they did move the mandate back, the deadline from June to September, but it's still in 2020. And then it's going to roll out in basically three phases. So it's just something to be aware of and it's going to be impacting the business. Well, yeah, let's dive in on that first piece. And Jessica, you certainly have just a little bit of experience in doing this, right? You personally have been involved in setting up over 800 plans and what insight and knowledge you have from that. And when we start thinking about people with an existing plan and those 
those fiduciary duties. I, I think that's stuff that gets tossed around a lot and people really don't know what that means. And so what are some of those duties? And then kind of specifically, what are the ones that really matter right now today? Yeah. I mean, so as an employer, when you're, if you have a lot of titles and you have a retirement plan, you're the plan administrator, you're a trustee, you're a fiduciary. And essentially what you do is you hire out professionals to take on some of those responsibilities for you. And so it's just really important to, you know, when you have an existing plan, you're responsible for not only making sure that what you're paying and your service providers are actually providing education to your employees, you're making sure that your fees are in line for the retirement plan. There's a lot of litigation that's happening where employers are getting sued by their employees because they haven't benchmarked, which means benchmarking is essentially your financial advisor is going out and shopping your retirement plan, making sure that your fees are in line with what's going on, you know, all basically similar size plans across the country with the you know, same amount of participants. It doesn't really matter about industry. And so that is becoming incredibly important. And it's definitely a responsibility making sure that just your plan is in compliance. And the Department of Labor wants you to be reviewing your retirement plan at least every three years. So if you don't have a fiduciary file in your file cabinet somewhere where you can prove under audit that you actually did a review and you did your due diligence, you have a problem. And it's not really you as the employer. I mean, yeah, you're responsible for it, but you probably are paying someone, a financial advisor, a third-party administrator, which is what we are, to do that, and if they haven't been doing that for you, it's your responsibility as the employer. So, and you know, just also to be aware of, you are never not a fiduciary. You can insulate yourself as much as possible with good professionals, but if anyone ever tells you you're not a fiduciary and they're gonna take 100% of the planned responsibility off your plate, they're not telling you the truth. It's just not true. So I think that's important to know. I don't know, Tim, if you have anything that you would wanna chime in on, but I just kind of really quick, I mean, we see it, we, we review retirement plans all the time. So this team plan, we go in, Tim, as a team, you know, and review the fees, review the plan design. Are you basically taking advantage of your retirement plan like you could be with tax deductions, big contributions, the limits that are available? And, you know, we see a lot of, I call it broken retirement plans that need, have a ton of room for improvement. And it's sometimes it's mind boggling, but there's a lot of plans out there that as an employer, you're busy running a business. And the retirement plan seems to be put on the back burner. And there's a couple elements to that that we see a lot. And it's just not a priority. Or you're paying someone that you think is basically helping you in your best interest and they're not. So we see that very, very frequently. And it's unfortunate. Because you talk about these things like plan benchmarking and, you know, reviewing the fees or reviewing, right, things like enrollment. How well are you actually meeting some of the retirement goals on those plans? And a lot of times those do get missed because the service providers may verbally say, oh, hey, yeah, of course we do that, but you can never find it in writing from the service provider that this is actually what we're going to do for you. And I think what else you brought out is so important is you can never truly get rid of your fiduciary duties. The analogy I always use is when you set these plans up, you as a business owner, you've, you've essentially put a bullseye on your back. And a good plan administrator, a good team is going to take this really big bullseye and help you shrink it to the smallest amount that the law allows. You can never make it go away, but you can certainly mitigate a lot of those things. And you can certainly shrink the responsibility by delegating to providers who do put these things in writing. Right, right. It's like insulating, you know, insulating yourself as an employer, put a bunch of bubble wrap 
<laughs> yep. And, and they, there are options out there that, you know, you can be taken advantage of. And a lot of players are just not aware of. And they could maybe be taken advantage of them and sometimes they don't even know. So it's just a matter of, it's really important to be in tune with your retirement plan at some level and making sure that whoever you're paying is actually doing what they say they're doing. Yeah. And I think the fee discussion right now is really, really poignant and one worth looking at because as businesses are closed, as revenues have come down, well, now all of a sudden fees matter a little more. And if you're not getting that service, if you're not getting that value and you can reduce expenses, that's worth doing, right? That's a way to save money through this crisis. And that's one of those big things that I've been working on with businesses is not just additional ways to add revenue, but also let's review the books, right? Let's use this downtime profitably so that you can emerge in the new reality even stronger and ready to move forward. So that's certainly some great advice for people with existing plans. What about employers who don't have a plan? What are some things they should be considering and thinking about right now? So there's a couple aspects. So we can kind of start with, you know, the mandate. So California passed the law back in 2016 and it's officially rolling out and going to be effective. Now it's starting September 30 of 2020. If you have 100 employees or more, you have to set up a 401k plan. There is a laundry list of a plans, but that size is either going to be 401k or the state-run plan. And the definition that the state is using for the mandate is age 18, paid by W-2, and you work 30 days. So the easiest, and they're using the EDD, they take the average with the EDD of the following three quarters. If you average in the 100, then the mandate's going to apply to you this year. And so I think the easiest way to think about that is how many W-2s did you issue in 2019? And if it's over 100, the mandate's most likely going to apply to you in September of 2020. You know, just starting to reach out to a financial advisor or me as a consultant or us as a team, which is, you know, how we work together and basically start looking at exploring your options. You know, do you want to know more about the state option, which is a disaster? <laughs> or do you, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit cynical about it. It's just, I call it auto-enroll on steroids. And you may not know what auto-enroll is, and I don't want to get in the weeds, but it's a never-ending whirlwind of enrolling your employees in the state plan. Or do you want to come out into the private market and set up a 401k? And what is that 401k going to look like? Because you're not required to do a match. You don't have to do an employer contribution. You have a ton of options, but it's really sitting down with each individual employer and helping you basically be an exempt employer, not have to deal with the state and designing a specific retirement plan that's gonna meet your objectives. And before all of this happened with COVID, and you know, we all have the shelter in place and businesses are just being, you know, completely crushed right now. But the economy was booming and employers were coming to me and saying, look, I have to set up a plan because I can't attract employees to come over. You know, kids were coming out of college saying in the job interview with zero work experience with a college degree. And saying in the interview, do you have a 401k and do you have a match? So that was a lot of the conversation. Now things are probably going to be a little bit different, but the mandate is not going away to set up a plan. The benefit to an employer in California, it's kind of the start of the line, is the federal government passed some legislation called the SECURE Act back in December of 2019. And they substantially increased the tax credit to a business to set up a plan. So fortunately for California employers, they're going to get, be getting forced into, a, you know, setting up a retirement plan. There's fees associated with that. However, you're going to be getting a substantial tax credit to do that, to offset the cost. So then layer on COVID, 
uh, you know, it's it's going to really help our California employers with basically getting forced to set up a retirement plan if they weren't wanting to. So let, let's go back to this mandate. So, you know, if you're listening to this, if you're an employer, if you've got more than 100 W-2 employees, California is going to come in and say, hey, you've got to set up a retirement plan. Yes. And this plan, and if someone's worked more than 30 days, they're eligible for the plan? Yeah. So if you go with the, the state option, which by the way, is free and you've got no fiduciary responsibility and it's so easy and great employer, you know, it's unicorns and rainbows. If you read all of the marketing material, you go to the CalSEERS website, which is a beautiful website. But the actual employer responsibilities for the state-run plan is going to fall on the employer. So if they go with the state plan, they're going to do everything in payroll in-house. And so basically, if you have an employee that has worked for 30 days and been on payroll, so it doesn't matter how many hours, and they're age 18. So W-2, age 18, 30 days. That means part-time employees too then? Zero-hour requirement. Yeah. Zero, so, I don't even so use the so- word part-time because it's like they could work one hour a week. You know, do you even put that in the part-time category? Technically, yes, but... So anyone getting a W-2 who's worked over 30 days is now eligible to get in this plan. And then what do you as the employer have to do? As the employer, you have to go to that employee. You have to give them an enrollment packet, just like open enrollment for, you know, insurance. And if you have have a 401k and say, okay, employee, 30 days from day to hire. So here's your form. Now, another 30 days, now 60 days from day to hire, regardless of hours work. They're just still on payroll. I have to auto-enroll you in payroll. So set up a, a Roth contribution, the so after-tax contribution of 5% is the number. I'm going to have to withhold 5% from your paycheck, send it to the state and to an IRA for you if you do not respond. So the employee has to fill out the form, give it back to the employer. The employer has to track that of, okay, which employee responded, which didn't respond, so I have to auto-enroll them. And keep in mind, it's all from data hire. So everyone is on a different clock. It's not like a once a month thing. It's everyone from data hired at the 60 days have to be auto-enrolled. And so an employee can opt out, but they have to return the form to do so. But the employer has to track all that. And the employee can also either let the auto-enroll happen. They can make a different election. So they could say, okay, I can't afford 5% right off, locked off the top of my check as a Roth, but I can do 2%. So the employer has to track all that in payroll for all their employees. And then, so let's say you get the employees to actually opt out. They have to be re-auto-enrolled in an open enrollment period if they haven't been participating for a year or longer and opted out. So it doesn't ever end. They have to continuously re-auto-enroll everybody. And the the state's intent, so they're saying that there's 7.5 million employees in California that are not covered under retirement. And the majority of those employees, when they retire, have less than $3,000 in their savings account and no retirement. So just basically Social Security. So the intent of the bottom roll is to drip on these employees or nudge, nudge them to save, nudge, nudge, nudge. But the problem is they don't understand the employer responsibilities and the burden that puts on the employer and payroll. You know, some of these larger ag operations, but ag and hospitality are going to be impacted the hardest by this. And the state actually acknowledges that. So all of your seasonal employees that come in and work six months out of the year, four months out of the year, two months out of the year, they're going to have to all be auto-enrolled. And you're going to have to give them a notification of the state plan. I mean, how is that even manageable? Right. Yeah. yeah. Let, let me let's even run through a scenario just to make sure that, that you listening, that you, that you really understand this. So, right, I, I'm an ag company. I've got, you know, 120 employees. Half of them are seasonal. And so we hire the seasonal employees. That starts the clock ticking. 
60 days from now, if they haven't returned any paperwork, I have to auto-enroll them at a minimum of 5%, which means that they're going to start taking money out of that employee's paycheck and putting it in a plan. Yep. Then from there, the very next paycheck, that employer or the employee could come to me and say, oh, you know, I really don't like this. And then I have to unenroll them. Yes. And then maybe they could come to me the month afterwards and say, yeah, I want to do 2%. And then I've got to re-enroll them. Yeah. So they can make changes anytime they want. They can opt in, they can opt out. And if they opt out, then a year later, I've got to put them back in the plan. Yeah. And I've got to track this for however many number of employees I have. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of work. Well, we didn't, we're just getting in the beginning. So there's also an auto escalate component. So you start at the five, then every year you have to basically auto increase everyone up 1% each year up to 8%. So keep in mind, everyone is going to be at a different level depending on when they were hired. So the employer has to track all that as well. And so, I mean, we use auto enroll in the 401k world, if it makes sense, if it's a good fit, but this state plan as a consultant, if I was to go into an employer and design this auto enroll in a 401k for an employer, they would fire me immediately, go to one of my competitors. Once they realize what I signed them up for, it's just not manageable or realistic. I mean, it's just too much. Well, at least if I'm the owner of the company and we put in that mandated plan and I'm making a couple hundred grand a year, at least I can put some of my own money into the plan, right? Yeah, that's funny. No, so you will not be able to. So these no. Roth IRAs have the household income limitations on them. So our owners and our highly paid employees that would actually be the ones that would want to participate are not going to be allowed to because most likely their household income is going to be too high and they're not going to qualify for the Roth. So that, but where I see that being a really big issue is not only the owner and your highly paid employees are not going to be able to participate, but it falls on the employee to be responsible to know if their household income is in line with what the, the limits are each year. And if it's not, that employee is responsible for opting out. So imagine your, there's a couple of the ways I see this going. So let's say you have a highly paid employee, a key employee that knows that they don't qualify. You're going to have to go to that employee every year and ask them to opt out because you they don't you have to continuously still go through the formal process of enrolling them and getting them to opt out. And that employee is going to be like, stop it. Like, I don't, I can't participate. You know this. And the employer is going to say, well, sorry, you know, I, I have to get you to sign this form. Otherwise, I have to do a 5% contribution out of your paycheck and send it to the state and you're going to get penalized on it if you don't qualify. So there's that. And then you have maybe have an employee that thinks they're going to qualify. And then, you know, they're participating all year. And then maybe their spouse gets a higher paying job or a bonus they weren't expecting. Or maybe the, the employee gets a bonus they weren't expecting. And the next thing you know, their house and income is too high. They don't qualify. That employee has to pay all the penalties on that money. It all falls on the employee. So it's just the, challenging. The, the amount of work, the amount of effort, right? The cost, right? So even though it's a free plan, it sounds like it's going to cost the businesses a whole lot, right? If you're an owner and you've got to manage this and track this, right? Especially at scale, if you've got any number of employees whatsoever, this just sounds like a, a, a really complex deal. And I'm hoping you can share with us an alternative here and why the private plan marketplace actually helps solve some of these things and makes this administrative challenge a little easier. So, so what can you do if you implement your own plan and what are some benefits of doing that? 
So really, Tim and myself, we're trying to offer solutions to employers, you know, that is going to be more manageable than the state option. So we're doing that through essentially a 401k plan. So in a 401k, as the employer, we can, basically, we can make it so much more manageable. Basically, we can do age 21 for eligibility. You have to work a year and you have to at least work a thousand hours in the year to qualify for the plan. So that completely eliminates all of your seasonal employees, the ones that are coming in, you know, turning over in 30, 60 days that you would have otherwise had to, you know, enroll in CalSAVERS. So that in itself is huge. Then we can have open enrollment periods. So let's, we can go January and July is the strictest we can go. But now we're talking about only twice a year, twice a year, you have to think about who's eligible for my 401k plan. And you get the support of a financial advisor to come out and actually educate those employees twice a year and do all the heavy lifting with those employees who are eligible. So that in itself is kind of a game changer versus the state option. We can also, I have a lot of tools under ERISA, who's federal law that mandates qualified plans, that we can exclude certain employees that would otherwise be eligible. And we get very creative to make it as manageable as possible for you to be an exempt employer and not have to deal with the state plan. And really, some of these companies I'm getting to the table with, with Tim, we're getting to the table because of CalSAVERS, but we're not losing the aspect of consulting and helping an employer set up a plan that's going to meet their objectives, you know, whatever that may be. So, you know, we have a lot of options and get really creative with our employers, depending on why they're establishing a plan. It's just, you know, they maybe wouldn't have set up a plan if they weren't getting forced to. But we don't have a cookie cutter, okay, here's your plan because you're not going with CalSAVERS. We're not losing that consulting aspect. Yeah, and I think that's so important to stress. And that's one of the reasons I enjoy working with Jessica so much is not only is she an expert, she's fun to work with, and she really always approaches this from a, a consultative perspective. And that's so different from a lot of people out there because there is no cookie cutter solution, right? There, there's really custom plan design to try to meet your goals. And, and maybe your goal through this is, I just want to avoid CalSAFERS and I don't want to have that administrative burden that's certainly part of what we can do. But we're also going to bring to the table, well, what do your tax mitigation strategies look like? How does that fund into your overall big picture planning? What are you doing? How are you working on retaining and hiring some of the best employees and keeping your most important people around? So there's a lot of things that really go into that plan discussion call and building a bespoke custom solution for you and something that's not off the shelf. So, no, right. It sounds like we got a coming storm. CalSAVERS is coming. And if you don't take proactive action now, you're going to get a plan that the government gives you instead of a custom built one that really runs and helps your business grow the way you want it to. Yeah. And just one thing that I don't think I mentioned this, but the EDD, we talked about EDD getting the average of the mandate applies to your business of the employees of the EDD. But the EDD is also in charge of enforcement of the mandate. So that also means that if you go with the state plan, they're also going to be in charge of coming in at some point and auditing. Are you actually managing my state to state plan properly? And so there's that aspect as well. So if you come out and do a 401k, you don't have the EDD coming in and knocking on your door. And I will say this, so auto enroll, if you went with the state plan and the EDD is in charge of coming in and auditing, making sure that they are operating the state plan properly. That auto-enroll is so complicated. Like we have clients that are busy running a business and they love the idea of auto-enroll to help their employees save for retirement, to give them that nudge, even in the 401k space. But notoriously, it gets messed up. It just happens. We go in and do our administration and review the plan for that year. We tend to catch 
like errors, like they forgot to enroll someone or, you know, it's pretty complicated even if it was a simple auto enroll. So imagine the EDD coming in and saying, oh, you forgot to auto enroll 400 of your seasonal employees that came and worked six months out of the year into the state plan. You know what? We don't know what the penalties for non-compliance are going to be, which maybe we should chat about just in general for the mandate. So we don't know the penalties for in the future enforcement of the plan design of Cal Savers, but we do know the penalties for non-compliance of the mandate. And so it's basically a notice of violation of 90 days that you're not an exempt employer, which means one of the qualifying plans or in the state plan, you have to pay $250 per eligible employee. And we know the eligibility, that's basically age 18, W-2, 30 days, $250. And at 180 days of non-compliance, that goes out to an additional 500. So now we're at 750 per eligible employee. So we know that they're not going to ding you basically who you have on payroll right now. They're going to probably use the average with the EDD because why would they not? So this is not anything to this. You really honestly need to take it very seriously. These penalties are not like the Obamacare penalty where some employers would just cut the check. Uh, this is substantial. Like I was talking to a business owner that one of his businesses had 1,500 people in a packing house and he was not thrilled about the mandate and <laughs> I was like, look, you know, these penalties are really substantial. For that one business that he had, if he was in non-compliance, it was over a million dollars. You take 750 times 1,500 people, this is no joke. And so it's just going to add up. And they don't know, the state is not sure how they're going to escalate those fees or how they're going to assess them annually. Are they going to go back? Okay, well, you you haven't been an exempt employer for three years when they catch you. Are they going to hit you for every year? I think that they're going to make it as severe as possible, in my opinion. So this is something that you definitely need to take really seriously. Right. Looking at and kind of reviewing those deadlines for the mandate, right? It's kind of rolling out at 100 employer or employees and then down to 50 and then down to five. Walk me through what that looks like. Yeah. So we talked about the 100. So 100 or more is September 30 of 2020. Then the second rollout phase is next year. So it's going to be June 30 of 2021. If you have 50 employees or more, then it goes out to the following year of June 2022 if you have five employees or more. So it's rolling out in the three phases. And, you know, I would say I've been seeing some of, maybe Tim, you have as well, that some of the marketing that's actually coming out directly to employers now. Some of our clients are getting emails, even though they're exempt. We're just having them self-report, which we'll talk about that in a minute. And it's very misleading. It sounds like, and it's very clearly stated that if you have five employees or more employer, you're required to go on CalSavers or go with one of the qualifying plans to make you exempt. They're not talking about the rollout. And I think it's intentional because I had a call with the outreach director who's one of the six employees of the treasury who's responsible for CalSavers. EDD is in charge of enforcement, but treasury is the one that designed the state plan. They have a board. They've got the employees that are managing it. And I talked to him last summer. They had some, you know, pending questions. By the way, really nice guy. And I kind of asked him, lost my train of thought. Oh, I asked him. So we kind of came out. He said they're actually concerned because they're, they were estimating there's 200,000, 250,000 employers going to be impacted by the mandate. And the majority of those employers fall in 2022, which makes sense for a lot of small businesses. And he said that they're concerned about that because they don't know how they're going to accommodate all these employers signing up for CalSavers in 2022. So they, want, they wanted them to be proactive. So 
So sure enough, we start seeing marketing coming out to employers and it's very misleading that if you have five employees or more, you have to do make it sound like you do something now. And that's not true. So the rollout is still happening. So I think the marketing is very intentional. So, right, for the the owners listening to this, right, maybe you've got a plan, maybe you're thinking about setting up a plan or, you know, even your existing plan. You want to do some analysis on that. How can they go out and find good advisors? What are some things they should be looking at? What are some questions they can be asking? And then what are some maybe red flags when they're talking to different advisors to help say, yeah, maybe that's not someone I do want to work with? Yeah, I mean, in the retirement plan world, so Hicks, we don't do any direct marketing to business owners. So we're all we're working with financial advisors. We're getting referrals from you know advisors, CPAs, ERISA attorneys. Every once in a while, we get an employer calling us directly. So what that means for me in my role with new business is I'm working with a lot of financial advisors in my territory. And I will say, most of the financial advisors I work with, if you're, they really should not be in the retirement plan space. So they, they basically want to do the private wealth management. They do not understand what it takes from a fiduciary perspective as an employer to manage a retirement plan, what you're actually responsible for. So you really want an advisor that understands your responsibilities as a fiduciary and what it takes to keep your plan in compliance to protect you from your employees, essentially by providing education, making sure that your, you know, your fees are in line, benchmarking your plan. I mean, that really may be coming out annually. Like, Tim, I think you have an amazing process of your, you know, your kind of your fiduciary checklist for an employer. And if your advisor isn't talking about that stuff, they probably should not be helping you with your retirement plan. I'll, I'll just say that. You really want someone that understands your responsibilities as an employer from an advisor perspective. And then from a compliance perspective, as a TPA, you just want to make sure that you're, you know, you're working with a quality TPA that's actually going in and reviewing your plan each year catching small errors that happen, helping you self-correct. So if you do ever get pulled for an audit, that your plan's going to be clean because the IRS and Department of Labor pull for random audits based on the picture of 100, which is public record. Making sure that when that auditor comes in, your TPA isn't working with you very closely. TPA is third-party administrator. Sorry, throwing out some acronyms, which is what we do. And making sure that you actually are getting what you pay for, that you have someone with a safety net coming in and reviewing your plan. We have a distribution department that is going to be working with your terminated participants, making sure that you have accurate distributions happening and taking that responsibility off. So it's really looking at, you know, what are you paying your service providers? What are you getting for that? Do they really understand your responsibilities? And now, I think we already said this, but now is a great time to review your plan, making sure that you're, maybe you can cut costs. I mean, we go in sometimes and we can cut your costs in half. I mean, we're talking about substantial. I had a presentation a few weeks ago, and you know, we were saving, going to save them like fifteen thousand dollars a year, and this was not a big plan. You know, big as in asset wise, only a couple million dollars, like ten participants in the plan. And if we can say you get you fifteen thousand dollars when you were paying thirty, and you felt like you were getting nothing for what you were paying, you had no idea what was going on with your plan. I mean, that's real life examples of it could be substantial savings. So really, maybe some of those questions that they can ask the advisors that they're interviewing or talking to, or even their existing advisors, are just articulate and tell me, what are my fiduciary responsibilities, right? Just that open-ended question to see how well that advisor can actually say, well, you've got to look at the investments. You've got to have an education plan. You've got to be reviewing the plan on a regular basis. So kind of some of those open-ended questions, right? What are my fiduciary responsibilities? How do you help me manage those? Maybe a great question is, how do you help me establish that fiduciary audit file so that when auditors walk in my office, I can produce those documents in what, 
it's a two week time period. I believe you've got to get it to them. Yeah. Right. right. How do you help me produce those documents in, in two weeks? Right. Or right. Even, even plan benchmarking. That, that's another area I see a lot. And especially when proposals are run, I see a lot of advisors walk in and they've got one vendor on the proposal sheet. Is that a red flag? Yeah, I mean, you definitely, so what happens is advisors, they have a preference on a record keeper that they, they like to work with. And so they tend to not kind of shop and like, you know, get other options. And so you want to make sure that they're, they're vetting other record keepers because they change their pricing. You know, they're all different, it's kind of a fluid industry. And so you could have one record keeper that's really competitive in your plan size space, and then they change their fees a couple of years now so they want to get into a different market in the retirement plan space. So only having one record keeper that you know you work with is a little bit of an issue in my opinion. So you really do want to see these proposals priced out with a couple other vendors just yeah. to show that due diligence process. Even right. if you've got a favorite vendor, you still want to show how they benchmark against everyone else. Yeah. Just to show that you're following a process and being able to defend those choices. Exactly. That's the only way to benchmark. I mean, you can't benchmark with one company. You know, you can't go back to that one record keeper and say, okay, we're a client of yours already. Prove to me that my fees are in line. Yeah, the only way to benchmark is, is getting multiple options. So then, right, kind of during this downtime where, you know, you may have some more free time if you're listening to this, right? Now's a great chance to pull out your plan to do a review. And Jessica, what do you typically recommend in terms of kind of those overall plan reviews? How often should someone be benchmarking? How often should they be running those investment proposals and lineups? How often should they be looking at some of those different things inside of the plan? Every two to three years. Okay. If your plan has not been benchmarked in three years, you're most likely overpaying. That's, that's just almost a guarantee. We go in and review plans. You know, if everything looks great, then you could stay with your providers if you're happy. You've done your due diligence and you can, you know, put it in your fiduciary folder if you're pulled for an audit that you did review your plan, you know, even with an outside party that was independent and everything looks great and you save. And maybe you're paying a little bit more than what the, the marketplace is, you know, offering right now. But if you can justify that, then, you know, well, maybe they have this fancy app and they've all these bells and whistles and that's why we're paying a little bit more and it doesn't make sense for us to up and move our entire plan. But you can justify that, but if you're substantially overpaying, that's not justifiable under an audit or under litigation. So, I mean, you want to be, at least every two to three years, you want to make sure that your fees are in line, you're getting what you pay for, and your participants are being taken care of. So the argument that I'm paying more on my plan because I work with my golfing buddy doesn't hold up? <laughs> no. Unfortunately, okay. that would not go over very well. No. Uh, All right. So, 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 so the Department of Labor does not like that answer very much. Absolutely not. So the Department of Labor, they're, you know, you have the IRS. So the IRS is concerned about taxes. So when they're coming and reviewing, they're looking at different things than what the Department of Labor is looking at. The, part, the IRS probably doesn't care if you're overpaying on your investment. Now, the DOL, they definitely care. It's all about your employees and what they're getting for what they're paying. Are they and just, are you, you know, depositing their contributions timely when you do the withholding? They're looking at it from a, an employee perspective. And you know, it's just a different, depending on who you get pulled for an audit, which they both audit randomly, you know, they're going to come in and review different things. Yeah, no, very true. Well, hey, we've been having a fantastic conversation. I can't believe how quickly the time has flown, but I really like a lot of the things that you've been able to share and really bring to our audience. And I think really that importance is just 
right? Having it, right? Have a plan. If you don't have a plan, consider it. But more importantly, always be reviewing, always be updating, regardless of what's going on in the world. Because if you are a plan sponsor, you do have that fiduciary duty to your employees to make sure you're managing these plans well. And when you're not paying attention, things can go bad. And so using this downtime wisely, you know, just to cut expenses, to review things, to make sure everything's working great, I think is a fantastic plan of action that right. people can follow. So, so how do people reach out to you and how do they get a proposal going or how do they consider this or even going back to their existing advisors? How do they have those conversations? What do they say? Yes. Well, you can reach me on my cell phone. I've had this phone number since I was 16, 36. <laughs> it's a 559-779-8351 or my email, which is my initial. So JJ at H-I-C-K-S Fresno.com. Um, so that's how I can be reached. And I'm available. I, Hicks is operating as an essential business. So I'm here in my home office. I'm not going, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm working full time. Believe it or not, I've actually been very busy. And all we do is retirement plan business, new business, you know, existing clients, things like that. So that's good. It's, it's very um, uplifting to be able to know that, you know, the world hasn't completely stopped. And, you know, I just want to kind of reiterate, we kind of been talking about this big, benchmarking and that sounds like maybe like a lot of work and now you have downtime but frankly we would be doing all that work and just coming back and doing a presentation and so it's mainly the hardest part is just checking in with your service providers you know asking them the right questions and then maybe taking a half an hour to sit down for you know a review of what our findings are or a zoom meeting you know we're <laughs> we're still doing meetings this way so, but, so it really can it really, truly can be as simple as that owner with the plan who's got questions, simply sending an email off to their advisor saying, I'd like to benchmark this and see where I stand. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And if they get a confusing response, that may be a sign that it's time to reach out to someone else, but they can at least ask the question and right. then judge how that professional responds to that request. Yeah. And you know, what I'm hearing a lot of is employers maybe not hearing from their financial advisor during this time or Maybe the advisor just isn't answering their questions or concerns properly with what's happening right now. So it's just kind of a new world. And so just making sure that you're comfortable with who you're working with. And, and frankly, do you even know your advisor's name? You know, I hear that all the time. It sounds silly, but where like, I haven't seen my advisor in years and I don't even know what their name is. Or I have a financial advisor. And it's like, yeah, we can see on the picture of Hunter what their commission is, what they've been getting paid every year. And, you know, so... It's just, you know, being in tune with what's going on and, you know, your plan still exists and then this mandate is not going away. So just starting to think about that as well because it's a process to get a 401k in place, getting your employees enrolled. We do all the hard work, but it takes some time. So, you know, trying to be proactive if you happen to have downtime right now, if your business is not operating fully, it's just something to definitely think about. Wow. Well, hey, Jessica, you have been a fantastic guest. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience with them, with us. And I certainly know that I've got a much better understanding of what's going on in the retirement plan world today. And more importantly, steps that I can take, other business owners can take to really move forward with confidence. So thank you again for being a fantastic yeah. guest. My pleasure. Fun. You've been listening to Family Office Secrets. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this podcast as we've pulled back the curtain to reveal to you the often hidden strategies used by today's most successful individuals and their family offices. We'll have another podcast soon. 
But for more secrets used by today's more successful business owners, dentists, and entrepreneurs, visit the website at www.timmcneely.com. Till next time.